Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth podcast. Now, we, uh, Emma and Lloyd, are actually going to take a little bit of a break from podcasting for a while. Life is just a touch busy right now and I think that something maybe we could all do a little bit more of is taking stock and just making sure we're not overwhelming ourselves. So in a bid to stop our great podcast algorithm overlords from burying for what it's earth, I'm actually going to share a couple of oldies but goodies with you over the coming weeks. So these are episodes that we enjoyed making for you at some point in the last few years, which perhaps you might be able to enjoy again. Or if you're new here, you might not have heard them the first time around. So today is the turn of air pollution, which we recorded in January 2020 in the middle of a COVID lockdown. Why this one, you ask? Well, I was lucky enough to work abroad for a month surrounded by mountains and fresh air, and that's a bit of a humble brag, I suppose. But the circular point is that now I've returned home, I've really noticed for the first time how different and unnatural the air smells like in the city that I live in. So here you go. Enjoy our adventures through the problems surrounding and the solutions for air pollution. Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth podcast, your favourite, absolutely should be favourite by now, environment, climate change, nature, sustainability podcast, where we have a look at the big issues, we try and package them up, make them a little bit bite-sized and ask, is there something we can do to save the planet? I'm Emma. And if it's not your favourite by now, why not? Please write in, we'd love to know. Would we? Actually, would we? Yeah. Would we want to know? Yeah, we do. Um, We'll send out a little five-point survey, get your (laughs) thoughts. And then we'll take the survey back, we'll hurt our feelings, and then we'll just keep doing what we're doing anyway. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. We're already (laughs) making too much work for us. It's January. This is our first episode that we've recorded of the new year, isn't it? Yes, it is. And just to finish your introduction, you're Emma, I'm Lloyd. Great. Um, Sorry, I interrupted at the wrong point. The Christmas break has just left us in tatters. Could you imagine the new listeners just like getting to this point and like, yeah, but who are you? Excuse me, I need to know who's talking in my ears. I can't relate to you yet. (laughs) You're two mystery voices. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, yeah, so this is the first one of the new year that we've recorded. Uh, So hello, everyone. Hello from lockdown. Hello from lockdown. We were just saying before the podcast that the best quote I've seen so far is, this week is the longest year of my life. It is. And it feels <laughs> like it. <laughs> it's the first week of January. So by the time this goes out, Lord only knows what else has happened in the news. I mean, just imagine like the, the parallels of 2020 where it started off with forest fires and then just went downhill from there, didn't it? This is true. This time last year, you and I were sat in, in the same room. Do you remember that? In the same room discussing oh, uh... wildfires. And um, the ones in Australia and California. And then we then we started talking about flooding because we were having crazy flooding events in, in the UK. Little yeah. did we know what kind of year that was only a year <laughs> we ago. would have. Goodness me. Anyway, have you made any resolutions? Um, no, because... Well, I, I struggle... <laughs> because everything's pointless anyway. <laughs> well, a little bit, yeah. No, it's nothing's pointless. Everything everything you do makes a difference. Um, but also, I kind of slightly hate the idea or the narrative that like you can only make big life changes at New Year's. Yeah. But the one thing I am doing this year that is new, that I will be doing hopefully every day, is that um, my friend got me like a diary uh, several years ago, and then I found it again <laughs> over Christmas and was like... God knows what's going to happen this year. This is going to be the diary that I keep, but I can't if not this to write year, in it. Then so I'm when? going to draw in it every day. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so, a good um, idea. 
for two minutes before bed every night, I just draw something that's happened in the day, but it's really nice because it makes me think back and think, okay, what one nice thing is, mm. have I done today? And I'll have forgotten that maybe I spent a whole meeting at work um, bird watching in the garden with my binoculars instead of listening. And that's then, lovely. I yeah. remember it. So that's, that's and then presumably, that's when you're, presumably when you're big and famous, you then have 365 <laughs> original drawings that you can auction, auction off. the drawings. January 4th, I genuinely drew Boris Johnson sat holding, you know, delivering the, uh, the nation's lockdown address. Oh. So that one will be a big one. So. Show us. I'll send you a picture. Yeah, it's terrible. Do. It's truly terrible. But um, you can tell it's Boris because of the, the hair. Anyway. And, yeah, anyway, in regards to the podcast, this thing we're doing. Let's get this. Have you done any good, good things? I have. I'm quite pleased with this one, actually, this week. Go on. So my house is really old. It's really drafty. We've covered this in old episodes. I've insulated the loft and now my home insulation oh. has gone a step further. I bought some really nice fabric and I made a curtain to go across my front oh, door. Oh, I saw this. I saw this on your social media because I follow you. Oh, thanks. I was I was honestly so proud. So proud. Very, they look really good. Very domestic. Very That's what good. I did over my Christmas holidays. Thanks very much. And it's really thick fabric. So um, it is making a bit of a difference in our hallway, which is normally... Yeah. perilously cold and now it's almost bearably cold so um yeah, yeah. my uh, partner Bryony recently ordered uh, a big box of wheat Ooh. and fabrics to make her own draft excluders oh cool that's a good mm. idea what like the sausages that go at the bottom of um <laughs> the giant doors. sausages yeah yeah door sausages they're a common thing in most households are they door not? sausages Do you is not that have... what they're called is that, is that the, right. the well, normal that's what i call them Okay. Whether or not that that phrase has gone further than my immediate circle, I I cannot say. Well, I'm going to start calling them door sausages now. It's way um, more engaging than draft excluder. So I say we rebrand them to door sausages. Ah, uh, there's 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 a pun in there somewhere. I can feel it. <laughs> maybe um, we, maybe we don't look for it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well done. That's that's awesome. Very proactive. What about like you? It. What about you? What have you done? Or are you, or are you uh, stealing Bryony's door sausage uh, idea? I, I, I can't steal hers, but also I can't say that I've actually really done anything in the last week or two because I've just been uh, sat sat around eating stuff. The news has uh, been stressful because of Christmas, and that's pretty much it. I mean, but that in, is a good in terms thing, of because we're not supposed to be doing stuff, so sitting around tr- at home, true, it is a good thing. You make me feel so good about myself. Thank you, Emma. Um, in terms of ve- veganism, like veganuary, I have literally, I think any minute now, I need to go check up on my vegan blondies that are in the oven. Oh, yeah. How dare you text me immediately before we record and say, I'm just putting blondies in the oven. Because <laughs> you know that whatever I'm having for dinner is going to be really disappointing in comparison. I mean, that's making. not my dinner, is what I'll say. Well, it should that's, be. <laughs> I no. don't just eat junk food. Well, it's not junk food. It's vegan, right? Because vegan can only be healthy. Everything, everything vegan yeah. is healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's as close as I've got into a doing a good thing. It's just feeding myself. Uh, let's move on swiftly to our topic of the week, which is air pollution. Yes, we've covered lots of other forms of pollution, and we thought let's we have... give air a go, shall we? So, um, <laughs> shall I kick us off with a definition? Please do. Let us know what we're talking about specifically, <laughs> according to the dictionary. 
Okay, I don't know if it's from the dictionary, but it was from the British Lung Foundation. So I, I do need to check on my about. blondies, actually, having said you this. You do that, so, and I'll, uh, I'll just read yeah. out the definition. I'll, I'll chat to the <laughs> listeners, and we'll, we'll catch up when you're back, okay? Okay. He's gone. He's going, listeners. He's genuinely leaving a live podcast. Um, okay, so just you and me, no problem. What is air pollution? Well, air pollution is anything in the air that can harm your health. So that's a lovely little succinct, I think, definition. So what are we talking about? Oh, he's back already. Gosh, that was very quick. Let him put his headphones back on. He's back. You're back. That was very quick. Are they not ready? They're not ready. That was a great definition, Emma. Well done. That Thank you really very much. Good. You can listen back insightful. to it in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be one of the most engaging episodes we've produced for a long time. This is what happens when you have a three-week break. We come back refreshed. Anyway, back to, back to air pollution. Yes. What are we talking about when it comes to air pollution? There are quite a few different things in the air which can be defined under the old air pollution umbrella. The first one that we're going to talk about, um, which will crop up a lot in this episode, is fine particulate matter. So these are minuscule particles which are invisible to the naked eye, but are still small enough to pass through your lungs and get into your bloodstream. They can be around 100 times smaller than a millimetre. That's very small. It is. It is pretty small. And then we've also got nitrogen dioxide, which is quite a big issue in urban like air pollution because it you know comes from cars and such things that we shall talk about later. Uh, and we've got ozone, so this is uh, three oxygen molecules, ozone of you know the layer fame, um, three oxygen <laughs> <three> atoms, <laughs> often found in the upper level of our Earth's atmosphere. Oh, you're distracting me. I can't remain professional. So when it's in the Earth's atmosphere in the upper levels, it absorbs UV radiation. But smog uh, is made up of ground level ozone. And this often is caused by fossil fuel emissions, which then react with sunlight. And then we've also got sulfur dioxide, which is the smelly one, which again, it comes from a lot of like burning fossil fuels like coal and oil, which contain sulfur. So all of these cause a lot of problems to human health. They will irritate the lining of your airways and a lot of people that have underlying conditions like asthma or lung or respiratory conditions will be triggered by them and um, and suffer the consequences of said conditions. And it's um it's it's also important to mention here, isn't it? We're mostly going to be talking about kind of the human impacts, aren't we? Because of course yeah. the other thing yeah. is that greenhouse gases are also air pollutants and they directly cause climate change. So we all know about climate change. We all know about greenhouse gases. We've banged on about them enough times. Um, so we're not actually going to go into all of that this episode. We're going to focus on all of these other little nasties, the things that we didn't know about until we started Googling it a couple of hours ago. Days ago? How day? Yeah, weeks. Several weeks. Yes. Yeah, so we are going to be focusing much more on the health impacts and the implications for uh, you and me in our daily lives. Mm. So... Have you got any uh, hard facts for us? Any numbers? Because I really like numbers. I, you know I do. So, mm. in 2008, according to the British Lung Foundation, this is pretty scary, actually. This did, um, this did freak me out a little bit. In the UK, 248 hospitals and 2,220 GP practices were all in areas where air pollution is above the World Health Organization's limit for fine particulate matter. That is scary. That is quite a lot. That is pretty bad. And did you know also that according to the same folks, um, somebody dies from lung disease every five minutes? Those are not statistics that I'm a massive fan of. No, not at all. I mean, I was reading that in London alone, 
something like 9,500 or 10,000 people die every year due to long-term exposure to air pollution. So that's through asthma or, or, as you say, lung disease. Slightly more shockingly, over a million people in China, a million and a half people in India a year die from air pollution. Goodness me. So it's a, it's a serious, yeah, it's, it's a very serious thing, um, absolutely. I mean, we're not going to dwell too much on the human impacts because, I mean, we've covered very briefly there that it's generally bad news. Um, it's also not that great for the planet. Obviously, greenhouse gas emissions, we've talked about that being air pollution, that definitely being bad for the planet. Yeah. But it can also have a knock-on effect on uh, things like forests and soils and river composition. So one of the things that happens is you get acid deposition. So this is essentially where sulfur and nitrogen will end up in the clouds, in the rain, and the rain will fall and they'll be acidic. That is a very, very dumbed down version of it. Um, no, I, I, I appreciate it. Thank I you. needed that. I seem to remember acid rain being a really big issue. Well, I, I say I remember, I was too young, but in the 90s and previous. It was, it was. So they realised, scientists realised how bad acid rain and acid deposition was in, you know, changing soil chemistry and changing river water and lake chemistry. And, and one of the things, because they have been studying it for such a long time, is that they have noticed that the actual the levels of deposition that are coming with rainfall have reduced back to almost pre-industrial levels um, in, in light of our emissions reducing. That's not to say that we're out of the woods and that's not to say that our emissions are low enough to, you know, survive in general. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's at least positive to see that it has reduced as well. It's not like a, it's not a positive feedback mechanism in the same way that yeah. releasing climate, um, climate changing gases is, at least that it's stopping. But there's still um, warning of the need for a lot of kind of like long term yeah. monitoring because you don't always know and you won't always see the impacts of a changing water chemistry because it will it will change the pH of rivers and and that can have an impact on aquatic life and fish and fish breeding and um, success of those populations. But you won't you won't always see it immediately. That might be a knock on effect that takes quite a long time. So that's a fun one. Always fun, yeah. And I also read quite an interesting piece about air pollution actually putting food production at risk. So we'll talk about the causes of air pollution next, but this this kind of ties in quite nicely. But one of the ways that the air can become polluted is actually through farming. And there's quite a few different ways in the kind of farming category that pollute the air. And one of them is that nitrogen oxides will come off of fertilisers that are used. And fertilisers are used to increase um, yield of crops, isn't it? But actually, yeah. they can end up causing acid rain and they can cause a smog, which will then affect you know, the air and the soil on the farm and in turn limit yields. It'll, it can damage plant roots and leaves, damaging yields and um, kind of has the reverse effect, really. And one of the things is it can also, you know, airborne pollution can travel so far. It just depends on the weather conditions. So it's not even necessarily your farm that you might be affecting your farm could also be affected by whatever else is going on around you in the neighbouring countryside, depending on yeah. which way the wind is blowing. So in terms of the way the wind's blowing, that also has a dramatic impact on all the other facets of air pollution, such as smog, which is a problem a lot of major cities worldwide deal with, because even though they've got industrial centres outside of the major cities, uh, Beijing springs to mind, they still have to deal with the consequences of air pollution directly as soon as the wind changes direction, as you said. So, not just Beijing, watchers of the Crown 
will remember a, a wonderful episode, a horrifying episode, which focused on the great smog that happened in London in ah, December of course, in 1952, yeah, yeah. which killed 10,000 people and potentially created over 200,000 more medical conditions. And this was exactly what we're talking about. This is um, lots of airborne pollutants that were more than likely in the air because of um, quite a lot of burning of coal. And then the weather conditions essentially trapped all of these pollutants in London. Um, you ended up with windless conditions and an anti-cyclone period of cold weather and, and everything got trapped and everybody was forced to breathe in. It was the only option. They, they were breathing in all of these particulates and all of this air pollution. And, and it was absolutely devastating. It was a real, a real disaster. So, and it's easy to think that's a thing of the past, but presumably a lot of that is based on the fact they were burning coal and burning coal still happens. Mm, mm. But it is interesting how it will, um, like levels will in the air will change with yeah. the weather and the season. So, you know, uh, fog, as we've said, is a good way to trap it. But also in, in the summers, if we've got very dry, hot summers that where the wind isn't blowing, it's very hard for air pollution to disperse. So, we, you know, as we're saying with coal, electricity and energy generation is one of the, the biggest causes of air pollution, um, particularly when we're burning fossil fuels. But of course, we've all also touched on diesel and petrol cars. They produce lots of pollutants like nitrogen dioxide, and particulates, um, diesel produces more, which is why a lot of cities are now banning or trying to implement bans of diesel cars in city centres. So I know Bristol and Bath are both looking at banning commercially owned yep. diesel cars as of like next year in the city centres to try and reduce um, air pollution in uh, in the centre of town. It's a tricky situation with diesel cars, isn't it? Because a lot of people for quite a few years did buy diesel cars Mm. after being told they were better for the environment, which the they technically are in terms of they produce less CO2 than a petrol engine. Mm. But the problem is that the diesel engine produces less CO2 at the expense of producing more nitrogen dioxide, which is much more harmful to us humans, mm. common folk. So it's bad news all round, but through different channels, isn't it, basically? Um, through yes. climate change or through direct air pollution. Well, yeah. So it's nasty stuff. But of course, you know, we can't all buy electric cars right now. So at least I think these kind of schemes and, and legislation that's coming in will try and shift commercial um, transport to go green. And the only way to make big change is if you can get big companies that have got massive operations and outfits to green up their practices. So if that's how you've got to do it, that's how you've got to do it. So yeah, I'm a fan. So. Other causes of air pollution, as I said, farming, we talked about um, fertilisers, but also you get a lot of ammonia that's emitted into the atmosphere from intensive um, animal husbandry and also slurry spreading. This is actually classed, uh, ammonia is actually classed as a dangerous particulate and cattle farms, which we've got a lot of in the UK, are a, a major contributor to ammonia emissions. And this can mix with vehicle emissions to turn into ammonium nitrate, more things that we don't really yeah. want. Hmm. So, so the, sorry, the, the, the slurry is the problem? or Sl Well, yes, essentially, because it's, it's poo, isn't it, being, oh, being spread everywhere. And also when it's used as a fertiliser, if you over-fertilise soil, uh, you get like nutrient runoff and you end up with all sorts of nitrates in places that it don't need to be. So, you know, I have, I'll be honest, I haven't Googled slurry to a, a very intense um, level. So I'm, I'm possibly not your cow poo expert. Hmm. Uh, why not? Got other things to do. 
Um, but then also one of the other things with um, with farming is you've got the slash and burn technique, which we don't really use too much in the UK. But if we're looking globally, um, that's something that has been occurring at a really crazy scale in the Amazon. So this is the literally clearing of land, burning it to raise the ground so that you can use it for agricultural purposes or commercial purposes. Um, and basically all you're doing is firing up a ton of carbon into the atmosphere or ruining the biodiversity yeah. of the land. And also physically burning, you're producing a lot of ash and dust particulates that also get in the air and giant dust clouds can travel. As for lungs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you remember when that volcano erupted or was... Which one? The one in Iceland that grounded. The one with a really long name. Something along those lines. You've offended all three of our Icelandic... (laughs) I used Icelandic to know how to spell business. it. I know. I've, I, I apologise. Uh, not my strong point. But, but you, you could see that's a really good example of showing like how much air pollution can spread, not just from farm to farm or city to city. He, they, it grounded flights all across Europe Yeah. because it was releasing so many things into the atmosphere. And actually, that's an interesting one. So volcanoes are a, a cause of air pollution because natural things can be causes of air pollution too. So pollen is also yep. classed as an air pollutant because to a lot of people it's an irritant and an allergen. All of the um, hay, hay fever sufferers are shaking their fists at the sky right about now. Yeah. <laughs> and did you know that if the wind's blowing in the wrong direction, um, we can have problems in the UK from dust that's blown all the way from the Sahara Desert? Ah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me because in the past few years there have been instances of... Well, I, I, it was like three or four years ago, I remember coming out of my house and everything was orange. Do you remember yes, that day? the apocalyptic skies, you're right. So weird, the most oh, eerie yeah. thing. It, it, yeah, I, I can't even begin to explain it. It's only the slightest tinge of orange change, but it was just, it felt so oppressive. It was so odd. It was, you're so used to the sky being something that you know, it's incredibly yeah. familiar. <laughs> And yes, you might not be able to predict the weather, but you, you've generally seen all forms of sky before. So yeah. when it turns orange, like, well, does the world end today? Madness. I mean, transport is one of the biggest polluters. So I think road traffic alone counts for around 20% of UK greenhouse gas emissions, for example. And that doesn't include aviation. Now, what's interesting is I was reading a study in the Netherlands, I think it was, where they had people cycle on uh, exercise bikes just outside an airport, but they put them into like a custom made lorry and the air was directly pumped from outside into the lorry and they had people cycle and see what their lung function was. So after just five hours, there was a decreased lung function, decreased athletic performance uh, heartbeat was slightly irregular. But the the effects apparently were, were very small, um, so not necessarily at like a health hazard to them after those five hours. And they can't necessarily say that there's long health, long term health implications. But you you got to imagine there are. If if that can happen after five hours, this this isn't something that the human body just steadily deals with, like living in a hot climate after a while. It's mm. part, this build-up of particulates, very fine particulate matter. As you said, that is... How, how small was it, did you say? A hundred times smaller than a millimetre. hundred times smaller than a millimetre. Very hard to grasp. And you can imagine those particles just building up in the lungs, which is how you get lung inflammation and, and lung problems. Mm. 
So basically, what we're saying is all human activity, most human activity as it stands, is causing air pollution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk indoor air pollution as well. You're not safe if you just come in the house and close your windows. Um, this freaked me out. I'll be honest. This is the part that that made me feel a bit strange because um, I wasn't expecting to be presented with a website on indoor air pollution. So it's exactly the same thing. It's all about what practices you're doing and what you're pumping into the air. So yeah. whether you, you know, the obvious ones being whether you have an open fireplace or a log burning stove, you're going to have a lot of the same problems as if you were, you know. And there was a warning released fuels. just the other day from when, from the time of recording, I was reading where, because they're concerned that so many people are buying log burners uh, because, because they are nice, aren't they? To sit around a fire. Not We've actually got a fire, a working fire in our house. It doesn't get much use, but it is quite nice. Mm. But the warning is that it increases the indoor particulate matter by th- by three times, I think it is. Gosh, yeah. And log burning can account for, I think it's like up to 40% of an urban area's particulate air pollution. So it's surprising. Yeah, you're right. I, I wouldn't have really thought that just the ash from burning a fire which seems like the most natural thing in the world mm. doesn't it just a very simple thing that we've done since we walked onto land or crawled onto <laughs> land uh, that's a health, health hazard yeah well it's you know it's not designed to be in an enclosed space is it so it's really important to make sure that you're like getting your chimney professionally cleaned at whatever rate you're supposed to be doing yeah. that on the regular um but then so you've also got things like whether you're burning candles or incense in the house whether you're a smoker um, and you've also got to worry about carbon monoxide, which is terrifying and the silent yeah. killer. And it's fair to say to use these things sparingly. Yeah. Like your yeah. regular, normal insulation and house heating should come first before mm-hmm. you decide to light a fire as a, a last resort or like an, an occasional occasional thing. Mm. But one of the other things that I read about as well was volatile organic compounds, which has come up when we've had a look ourselves at um, like sustainable building practices. But basically, um, you can find volatile organic compounds, which will come in a lot of products like cleaning products. So you've got acetone, you've got formaldehyde, you know, the thing that they use to preserve bodies and in like, in cleaning products um, mm-hmm. or like bleach based cleaning products. And a lot of the kind of the volatile compounds that will come off of those will end up in the air and are known to irritate lungs. So you can actually buy like paint that's low VOC, low volatile organic compound or is water based. You know, if you're decorating, because yeah. some people will find that actually using a certain paint will will irritate their lungs and their asthma will flare up. Or you can switch to like natural cleaning products, which have got less um less chemicals in. So it's actually quite scary. One of the you know one of the best things I guess you can do is open the windows regularly and let the outdoor air pollution in and let the indoor air pollution get that out. fresh air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, in terms of wider solutions to everything we've been talking about. You can sort of block them into two main things, which are either to remove these things at the source or remove them from the air. So scrub these pollutants from the air. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm not really going to talk about removing them from the air because we have talked about it before. It has come up, for example, in um, Inventive Solutions episode we did last this time last year. So yeah, I'm going to talk more about how we can stop these things getting to the air in the first place. So we have passed laws in this country. So 2008 Directive was an EU-wide effort to have a legally binding threshold. And yet in the UK, we still regularly exceed that. Mm. So it becomes illegal. Despite the fact in 2016, the UK Supreme Court 
it tried to intervene and say you actually have to do this <laughs> like this isn't just like a mm. verbal agreement you know with you your mates to. down the pub yeah, yeah. Uh, that thing you signed you, you gotta do it you gotta mm. do it so as we said road transport is a huge uh contributor to air pollution and it's the primary contributor to no2 emissions in the uk mm. so when you're reducing emissions from road sources you've got three main things you can do first of all cycle mm. we can all cycle i imagine possibly Hopefully. i mean it depends if you've got a bike i suppose but perhaps that's a privilege of upbringing lloyd you can't make these assumptions of everybody no that, that is actually very true and i'll get on something similar to that later but also there's the fact that the majority of the public don't feel safe cycling which is a barrier to getting people on their bikes and actually rightly so because i'm looking at a table in front of me where it compares the uk which has one percent of journeys are made by bicycle and it compares it to the netherlands denmark and germany where 27 percent 18 percent and 10 percent of journeys are made by bicycle now in the netherlands denmark and germany you have 14, 17, and 47 cyclists injured per 100 million kilometers distance cycled. Okay. Okay. So for every 100 million kilometers cycled, 14, 17, and 47 cyclists in Netherlands, Denmark, Germany get injured. Mm -hmm. uh, and that translates to 1.1, 1.5, and 1.7 deaths. In the UK... Lots of stats here. Okay. That's 60 cyclists injured. Mm, that's a lot. And 3.6 deaths. So... Just that, that's in absolute numbers as well. So despite the fact we only make up 1% of our journeys, we still in absolute numbers uh, have four or five times as many cyclists injured. Because it, it's not safe. You're, like, I don't want to cycle anywhere around where I live because the cycleways just no. kind of end abruptly for no reason. They like crisscross. Mm. Um, and actually, Swansea, to be fair, is pretty good for cycling. There's a really good cycleway that goes all around the seafront but that doesn't necessarily go in a city in the mm, same way get you to places you need to be bristol and bath are both relatively good i've heard in terms of cycling yeah but i am genuinely terrified to cycle if i've not been somewhere before there's no way i'm gonna cycle i'll walk even if it takes me an hour and a half yeah we haven't got the relationship in this country have we between cyclists and because it's not just uh, cyclists it's uh, other road users don't really know how to drive properly around cyclists and give them the benefit of safety <laughs> um, but if we were to increase cycling if mm. you just took central london so not even a whole london central london if 14 percent of journeys were made by bicycle energy emissions would be reduced by almost a third that's amazing, and again that's in absolute numbers and actually you'd get lower emissions because the cars that are still left on the road aren't in gridlock they're not going to be still running waiting the engines on good point yeah so interesting at the risk of babbling on i'll go on to the next point so that's cycling uh the next one is electrification mm. so that's whether electrification of public vehicles or private vehicles that needs to happen in, especially in terms of public vehicles a lot of our vehicles in the uk are powered by diesel mm. uh, and I, I know there are schemes to sort of uh, improve the engines sort of like a refurbishment scheme and things but yeah, we could all do with electrifying our modes of transport. But the thing is, there's even then, even if you've got an electric car. Which is prohibitively expensive. Which is prohibitively expensive. And yeah, obviously better for uh, emissions and things, especially greenhouse gas emissions. You still don't eliminate 
pollution, air pollution, no. because you've got tyre wear, you've got brake wear, mm. you've got road degradation beneath you as well. All those things release particulates that go into the air. So the bigger solution is to reduce the journeys we're making in the first place. And I wonder whether with lockdown and COVID and the shift to home working, maybe we'll see an improvement in that. I'm really interested as to whether a lot of these habits will stick and whether we genuinely will see a new way of living and working. I really am hopeful, but also slightly nervous that it won't. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, Moving on from changes to our road habits, we can also look to ecological interventions. In particular, use of green spaces, especially vertical green spaces. So vertical vegetation can help not just in absorbing air, but in disrupting airflow. So it's quite cool. So, well, I say cool. Um, Tall urban buildings and like uh, urban areas create what they call, they those people call uh, street canyons. Okay. Which makes sense. Like compared to a natural area, mm. we, we've completely altered the airflow in, in a given place. True. So these street canyons, the built tall buildings effectively work to stop these particulates dispersing into the air quickly when they do occur and they are created. So vertical vegetation can reduce street level pollution, stop that hanging around by 40 to 60%, depending on which um, pollution we're talking about, because it just disrupts that stagnant flow and it disrupts the flow of staying downwards. And you can also use them, which is quite a cool idea, as like barriers. Mm. So if you've got a vulnerable area like a school or care home areas, that sort of thing, you can have much more vegetation growing, much more vertical vegetation to provide a physical barrier between these places, which seems like quite a good idea. That's really cool. Talking of um, vulnerable areas and people, one of the things that the British Lung Foundation was talking about in terms of solutions and things that, well, not necessarily solutions, but something that they wanted to see moving forward was um, better investment in air quality monitoring for places where vulnerable groups will gather. So like you said, schools, hospitals, but also, you know, health centres and um, if their argument was that if they made that air, that data publicly available, people could make an informed decision about where they would like to receive care. Because a lot of you yeah. know the, sta- the statistics Very that we good, started yeah. the episode with was the uh, the amount of hospitals and, and GP surgeries that are in you know very high risk um, air quality areas. So if you could have the option of going somewhere that maybe wasn't going to be as triggering for you if you were vulnerable, that might be a really interesting again and, not solution to the overall problem but a personal well, solution. I think it could lead to a bit of a solution because if that data is publicly available and people are making choices that harm the economy in quotes. Then they'll listen. Then, then someone will have to listen because they'll be like, "Oh, <laughs> we, we, yeah, people are actually making decisions based on this now. Oh no, we have to do something." Good point. Um, can, I, can I quickly jump back to cars? Of course. I was thinking, and Friends of the Earth say that government should be helping people scrap their old cars, basically, which is fair enough because we've we've got things like as you're saying ultra low emission zones uh, clean air zones which are great really good ideas but the problem is they affect people disproportionately mm. so people who can't afford to get a new car they're not going to suddenly be able to afford a year on the tube are they because no. it's flipping expensive so what what are you supposed to do if like you've built your life now around that commute in part because in the past you've been encouraged to buy a diesel car for example 
So something needs to happen to level the playing field. And friends, yeah, friends of the Earth believe that the government should be using a scrappage scheme. And I think that was one quite a few years ago from the government, but that has stopped. And I think they've also stopped subsidies for electric cars, haven't they? Have they? That's what we were discussing oh. in the electric car episode a while back. But I did have a look and quite a few manufacturers, it doesn't completely take the sting out of the tail. But there are quite a few manufacturers which are at the moment offering a certain level of scrappage scheme. So if your car was registered before 2012, quite often it fits into a certain band and they will, if you trade that in, they'll knock off and like a couple of hundred to a couple of grand's worth of a new car. New cars are still expensive, but, you know, it might, might help some people. Mm. And now is probably, I think, a good time maybe to mention Ella Kizzy Deborah. So she was a nine-year-old girl who died in 2013 and fairly recently, within the last year, I think it was, coroner ruled that illegal levels of air pollution caused her death. And that was the first coroner ruling of its kind that we think mm. in the world. So just that, that just helps put a, a human cons- a human face on the consequences, I suppose, um, mm. and how, how, how tragic it can be. But I will say her mother, Rosamond, is an absolute hero because she is sort of carrying on her legacy and is currently fighting the building of a new four-lane Thames tunnel going up. Uh, so so well done. That's really, really awesome. So yeah, we there are solutions, whether mm. at the level of government or what we can do, including, for example, cycling, reducing the number of journeys, reducing the number of stove burnings <laughs> that we do. Stop, stop burning all those effigies. Oh, here's one. Here's the one that I will continue to push all year and have been doing so all year. Switch to a renewable energy provider. Yes, huge. Because then your energy generation isn't causing more air pollution as well. It's climate changey stuff. And think how smug you can be. Not sponsored by renewable energy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. I think it's it's time to to close the lid on this little. Yes. Exactly. Uh, We we hope that was um, a bit enlightening. It's. A really big issue that we haven't surprisingly covered yet. We've or, not touched on even very briefly, have we? Really, we've you know. There's a lot more scope, I think, in this topic to go further for a future episode because I still feel like we've only really skimmed the surface with a lot of mm. this. So get in touch with us. What what you thought about the episode? Get in touch with us if you've got any solutions yourselves. Mm-hmm. Let us know what other episodes you'd like to see on the docket. Yeah, and, and if, if you're a cyclist, uh, send us a picture of, of you giving the finger to cars. If you're a cyclist, you're braver than I am in most cases. Well done. Excellent. Um, so, right. Should we, should we throw out some social media handles and try yeah, and attempt people over to our other channels? Ha- please have a chat with us. We're so lonely. So we have Twitter at What Earth Pod. We do. We indeed. have Facebook uh, for What It's Earth Podcast. We have Instagram, which is also the same for what it's earth, for what it's earth podcast. podcast. And we have an email address. We uh, do. For, wh- for, for what it's earth pod at gmail.com. What it's earth pod at gmail.com. There we go. Genuinely. I clearly need to check the inbox more. That's okay. Well, we've had some very exciting emails over Christmas, let me tell you. Yeah. You've got oh, some yeah. good episodes coming on up. On that sisters. subject, thank you to the gentleman who emailed us on Christmas Day. That sounds sarcastic, but no, genuinely, thank you. That is, um, it it's nice to know. People think of us on Christmas Day. I know. He listened to our Christmas episode on his Christmas run and then actually took time out of his day to... Thank you so much. Honestly, it's... It was the best you know, Christmas present I had. It, yeah, it was up there. 
Um, <laughs> no, it was really, it was truly lovely. Um, we sometimes forget that people actually listen to us because we just have a really good time chatting to each other on the internet. Um, but a lot of work does go into the podcast, so that really, really did. It did make our year. It did. Wonderful. Okay, and we shall we've got a end disclaimer it to do, Lloyd. Yes, all the news. No, hold on. Everything we've said, they're all our own opinions and nothing yes. to do with anyone that we work with or affiliated with. So if you've got a problem with anything we've said, shout at us and nobody that we work for. Yes, there we go. Lovely. And with that, I'm going to go we'll check my blondies. Very soon. Yeah, if you could pop some in the post for me, that would be great. Bye, all. Bye. 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 B